Welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse created by the team at the Sober Network. The Sober Network has engaged in revolutionizing the treatment industry by creating its own token economy. We offer fresh ideas to an industry that has relied on dated interventions. We are responsive to a new generation of substance users who are attached to their phones so we can impact massive social change. Our unmatched technology displays solutions of our various brands, demonstrating a thorough understanding of how we get things done. We are proving that technology, along with incentivized human accountability, provides measurable and positive outcomes. Visit us at SoberNetwork.com. Welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse, brought to you by Sober Network. I am your host, Jamie Brickhouse, and today we we have our guest, sober celebrity, uh, Gigi Langer, joining us. Gigi is an author, has thirty five years of continuous sobriety, and has accomplished much, such as obtaining a PhD, which we'll get into in a bit, being an award winning author, and teaching awards as well. Thank you for coming on as a guest, Gigi. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here, Jamie. Ah, it's great to have you here. So you have 35 years sober. What do you use routinely um, to continue your sobriety? Well, I have five things I count off on my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Going to meetings. This is how I fill up my sanity bank, you know, to keep yeah. myself um, from needing to have a drink going to meetings regularly. Mm -hmm. um, thank God for Zoom, because I've moved from Michigan. So I'm able to stay in touch with my Michigan friends. Yeah. And then I also have people here in Florida. So that's nice. Um, wonderful that. It, yeah. It, I mean, that's a great gift of that's come out of the pandemic is Zoom because, you know, because now we're going to have both. We're going to have in person or we do have both, uh, both in person and Zoom and, and the way you can connect with people. Uh, across the world is amazing. So it's it's wonderful, and it, it may be a little easier for people to tune into a Zoom rather than walking into a room full of people for their first meeting. Or for, right. I I hope so. <laughs> anyway, um, then reading the literature of the pro two, right. That's number two. Yeah, uh, reading literature of whatever program you're in. Uh, three, praying and meditating for working the steps with a sponsor or working the program as suggested by the program you're in. Mm -hmm. And the last one, the fifth one, service, 
So it's meetings. <laughs> uh, what did I say? The second one is, oh, I know, reading the literature. Yep. Uh, going prayer and meditation. Right. Working those steps with our sponsor and service, helping other alcoholics and other people. So yeah. when I'm feeling kind of crummy or out of sorts, I do a little inventory of those five. You mm -hmm. know, am I am I keeping up my footwork to keep my head screwed on straight? You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about uh, prayer and meditation and how that um, has worked for you and how you came to it? And sure, because a lot of times some people get especially newcomers, uh, you know, that, that sometimes is a hard one for them to, to, uh, even approach or even. Talk. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. I think that's a big stumbling block for people contemplating 12 step programs. Um, yeah, I've written a couple of blogs, like how important is the word God anyway? And, uh, you know, the Lord's prayer, yikes, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> because I had that um, reaction when I first started, I had tried to, you know, become a Christian a few times and it hadn't worked for me. So the Christian sounding language was uh, off putting for me. And uh, all I understood eventually was, okay, put aside my preconceptions, something was going on here that was helping these people stay sober. And it was bigger than everything I had tried. Right. And my and my fear filled thinking. So I kind of was willing to go along on that basis. I was very glad when they said, you know, God, as you understand God, mm -hmm. because I, I couldn't fathom a male kind of God. So I just kind of cringed when the God word was used. Right. Um, I came kind of to a female being. Then it was easier to pray to this loving female, <laughs> uh, higher, you know, loving power, I call right. it. Loving power. I like that. Yeah. And so I just translated the the prayers into my own way, my own language as to, quote, who and what I was praying too. Mm -hmm. These days, I'm talking more about our true self, our loving energy, um, just to avoid the God word. <laughs> yeah. But to me, it's, it's, it's just bigger than me. So when I, the most important first word of any prayer, I think, is the we word, you know, that I'm not alone, right? That, that there's something here bigger than me that's with me. And um, the beauty of being in a program with other people is that quite often those people show up as what we call God in skin. They're just, <laughs> they stream that love into me when I think I don't deserve it. And I start yeah. realizing there's uh, some kind of goodness that doesn't have an agenda and is purely loving. And 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 then I became more willing to trust it and, and pray to it. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. And it I works. I, I, I love your, uh, I, I thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing your, your journey of how you got to prayer and meditation. Um, Thanks. Because for some people it's daunting. They're just like, oh, I'm not there. Or, oh, she's, you know, or they just assume the person has always been spiritual or religious or, or had the belief in. And, uh, so I love, I love your, your, um, story of how you got there and how you interpret the, uh, and I also love you interpret a higher power as a loving power and, um, and also taking 
um, taking prayers and then, you know, adjusting them to work for you to make sense Mm -hmm. for you. So, yeah. I did want to add something about meditation since you asked. Oh, right. Meditation, yes. Because if someone asked me, you know, without going to a, if I'm just wanting to start somewhere and I'm afraid to go to a meeting, but I'm listening to podcasts and maybe online, you know, with social media. But I think uh, learning to meditate, but I'm going to put it in quotes because it's not the kind that everyone thinks about where I have to empty my mind and, oh my God, I could never do that. And my mind is a monkey cage and, oh my God, I can't meditate. Uh For me, it's more the practice of noticing my thinking. Well, focusing on my breath or Uh any, a mantra, whatever I think of, I choose it. And then I try to stay focused on that. Well, then I notice my mind wandering, which is I don't punish myself. I say, oh, look, there's my mind thinking that. And I'm going to move it back over to this breathing or thought. And then, of course, my mind goes back to thinking, and I just gently move it back over. So, of course, we have to do it many, many times. And I don't think the success of meditation is that we achieve emptying our mind. Right. I think the success of medication meditation is giving us the practice of switching our thinking from something that quite often a lot of us are thinking is negative and scary. And so if we've been practicing meditation, we can notice that thought and move it to something more positive or neutral. For me, that's the key is learning to switch the thinking. (laughs) Yes, yes. Which is the key to the program or or one of the keys to the program. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Uh, you have, and, and, you know, and I will say that is, a, and I know it was a stumbling block for me about meditation is that we feel like, oh, we have to have emptied our, our, our head of everything and to have no thoughts or just to be a clear head while we meditate. And, and uh, when you get over, over the, the fact that, the, that you may not achieve that and often don't um, uh, it, it can open it up for you. I remember, um, a turning point for me in meditation was I, I live in New York City and it can, and it's very loud uh, where I live. Uh, there's a lot of traffic and noise and all that. And I was in a meditation Zoom meeting and I was meditating and then there were, you know, and I was trying to clear my, you know, breathing, focusing on the breathing. And then there was a siren and or actually before I heard the siren that my my husband was making some noise in the kitchen and that annoyed me. And that, it, you know, it, and then then I heard a siren outside. And then rather than I was just, I was like, I imagine myself um, being part of that siren and just following it around the city. And then, and then kind of as each other noise came in rather than fighting the noises, because I couldn't, um, I, I just made them a part of the meditation um, and just perfect journey that way. Um, You have, uh, I've got an opportunity to to interview several accomplished guests here on the podcast, and you are um, yet another one, I'm happy to say. What drove you to um, uh, achieve your PhD from Stanford? Oh, man. You know, I grew up in a pretty chaotic family. My father was a high-functioning drunk. There was a lot of um, yelling and screaming and throwing things, you know, and uh, I was the youngest of four, came out of the womb highly sensitive, you know, uh, feeling things more than other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a pretty scary environment for me. Um, And when I went to school and 
learned to read fast and seemed like a smart person. <laughs> that was like a, a hook for me, you know, oh man, a place I can feel safe. So, you know, that explains why in a way, partially, I just kept getting more degrees. I think also my loving power was at work because um, I kept, well, I, I kept following men around, you know, and marrying <laughs> them or living with them and crashing and burning in those relationships. So by the time I was in my uh, mid, mid thirties, I really, you know, had, had multiple divorces and was really feeling like my life wasn't going anywhere, smoking dope all the time at the mm -hmm. bar a lot. And um, so the the latest guy I met said, oh, you know, and my I was doing some courses in um, educational research because as a teacher, I was very interested in uh, what makes teachers more effective than others and how do you help teachers get better? Yeah. So uh, this guy I met said, oh, you ought to apply for a PhD at Stanford. And one of my professors said, you ought to go on for, and I, you know, I was just ending a marriage. I didn't know what else to do. So <laughs> I applied to Stanford and Berkeley. I did not get into Berkeley, but it turns out that in the psychological studies of education at Stanford, they took uh Half the class was people well, like me. Stanford's not too shabby either, I hear. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> but they were smart enough to take people like me who had a very simple question. Gee, I wonder what helps teachers get better, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then they gave me all the training to go ahead and investigate that, which was a real gift. However, the stress of being with all those smart people and taking seven statistics courses and studying with these famous professors mm -hmm. really sent me to the bar really? every night and getting high every night and on the weekends. And, you know, I found another Comparing guy. Compare and despair, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just couldn't. It, drinking and getting high was the only way I could handle the stress yeah. because remember I had hooked my self-esteem on doing well in school. Right. right. <laughs> so here I set this huge goal for myself, you know, and then I get there and it's like, Oh shit. You know? So I, I made it through the four years. It was fabulous. Uh, I, I overcame the fear enough with the marijuana and alcohol, but it basically escalated. And then it was at the end of grad school when I realized my my life was pretty seedy and I needed to uh, do something. Great. Well, that's a good place for us to break real quick for a commercial break. But stay with us. We will be back uh, with more from Gigi. The Sober Podcast is giving a voice to recovery and is now part of the Soberverse. Join our new virtual sober environment where you can connect with other people like yourself or find helpful resources on the following digital spaces. Soberverse.com, SoberNetwork.com, Sober.com, SoberSystems.com, SoberPodcast.com, SoberCoin.com, and RecoveryCoaches.com. And we are back um, talking with Gigi. What's the greatest achievement you have accomplished while being sober? The greatest thing? Mm -hmm. Wow. Can I name more than one? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Staying married to my fourth husband 
Uh-huh. For 33 plus years. Bravo. Okay. All right. Um, obviously staying sober, uh, finishing my PhD, getting a, a job in a um, it, it, college of education, preparing new teachers and, and getting uh, awards for my teaching and recognition from my students. That was, and, and some of it for my academic writing, that was very gratifying but the scariest thing I accomplished was writing my 50 Ways to Worry Less Now book, which yeah, it's called the full title is 50 Ways to Worry Less Now. Reject negative thinking to find peace, clarity and connection. Everyone should yep. get a copy. Oh, well, I'm I'm going to send you one. So oh, good. I just need your address. All yeah. right. I'll give it to you. Um well, yeah, and 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 writing a book is a huge accomplishment. So, congratulations! And thank you. Um, what is the most difficult struggle you have been through uh, in sobriety, and how did you get through it? Mm. Well, you're a good one, but <laughs> you're a good question asker. <laughs> it's covered in chapter five. Uh, I think when we first get sober or go to therapy, we're afraid. We know that there's a bunch of gunky stuff down inside of us. We feel like something's not quite right. And the fear is I'm going to tear off the Band-Aid and it's going to come gushing out all at once and it will overwhelm me. That was one of my fears. Mm -hmm. So uh, my experience, however, was different because I did use the 12 steps and each time I went through them, especially those inventory steps, uh, there was, you know, I started out with one layer and it was a very manageable layer. You know, I'm an alcoholic and I'm dysfunctional in relationships. Then, you know, and I had a therapist and so on. But then a few years later, the next layer came up and yeah. it was time to heal that. And mm-hmm. that was around growing up in an alcoholic family and all those characteristics, perfectionism being one of them, right. workaholism being another, <laughs> worked with that, had no idea that four or five years later, I would uncover some sexual touching that happened to me and my family and uh, found a new therapist. That was the scariest thing. Found it, the perfect therapist, the perfect healing group was able eventually to just ask my father not to touch me in that way, which he was still doing. He would oh hug us. God. He would hug us girls and put his thumb on the side of our breast. Oh, isn't that gross? Yeah. And they all, and my <laughs> sisters thought, Oh, isn't that cute? You know, and in therapy, I thought it wasn't so cute. So one of the scariest things I did was to talk to him. I didn't lay it all out on him. I'd done all the anger venting and everything in therapy. Mm-hmm. I just said, when you touch me that way, it makes me feel extremely uncomfortable and I'd like you to stop. And he said, oh, okay. And never did it again. Wow. Amazing. But, but <sighs> you know, and just, but, but to get to that point took a lot of work, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it was no wonder I had been so promiscuous, you know? So there was a lot of, thank God I had therapy and a group and the, and the steps and my sponsor, because there was a lot of feelings to work through before I got to that point where I could set the boundary with no hatred in my heart. Mm, and that's an even bigger achievement, I think. Yes. Or, or, yeah, exactly. Uh, place of acceptance, I'll even say, more than achievement, you know? Yes, you're right. A miracle. <laughs> really. 
Um, we have a few more minutes and I, I want you to tell us a little bit more about your book, 50 Ways to Worry Less Now. Oh, great. Well, after about 20 years sober, I was uh, coming home from seeing my mother. My father had passed away. My mother and I had had this wonderful time together. I felt no resentment toward her. I had worked through all that. Why didn't she protect me and blah, blah. And I had a completely open heart toward her. And it was such a gift, you know. Um, So anyway, I'm on the plane and I'm thinking, geez, I wish other people could learn some of the things I have that have brought about these amazing things in my life, you know, sobriety being the first thing, but then overcoming the stress and the high achiever perfectionism and the type A and finally being able to have successful relation, you know, marriage and forgiving my past and, and so and dealing with chronic pain, which I had a whole lot of stuff. So I thought, um, well, what if I could take, like the 12 steps and boil them down to something that might be helpful to any person on the street who wanted to overcome their fear and worry. So I came up with, you know, getting honest, claiming some kind of power bigger than our fear, making choice, making choices that we want to grow and we're willing to do the work and then doing the work using all kinds of growth practices, um, which is my general umbrella for all the 50 tools that are in the, book. Yeah. And, you know, some of them are energetic because as I had blockages, like, you know, when I started writing chapter five about the sexual touching, mm-hmm. I had a major block and I did, I had done some energy work with other energy practitioners, but I went to another person who helped me work through some of that body uh, leftover and blocked energy, however people explain it. Right. So there's energy techniques, there's spiritual techniques, and there's the cognitive reframing and um, reprogramming among the 50. Yeah. That sounds oh, wonderful. What, what I love about that is, you know, what I often say, I'm also sober with, I, I use the 12-step program in, in meetings. And, you know, I've often said, God, everybody, even if they're not an alcoholic or an addict, should have this program, should go through this. And um, I kind of feel like you're with your this this is what your book is doing. It's it's giving it uh, giving uh, giving that kind of thinking and um, and program uh, to folks uh, everywhere. So I love that. Well, it turns out that most of the people who are buying the book are in the sober community (laughs) because because they're ready for it. Yeah. Well, I'm a teacher. So that, you know, you people hear Oh, the gold, the golden key. Well, I give exact directions on how to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Byron Katie's uh, the work. You know, is it true? I give an exact uh, description of how to do it and an example that's approved by her. Radical forgiveness. What a great book! But how do you do it? Well, I have an example and direction. So, the tools are all very clearly spelled out <laughs> and <laughs> illustrated. And they're all tools I've used and discovered because I had my my ass in a sling <laughs> due, due to some kind of life event, right? Right, right. And then we start looking or or our higher power, or our loving power brings us new people, new tools, new, new things to help us through. Yeah, wonderful. 
You have been an amazing guest. And how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you if they want to reach out and or um, uh, get your book? Well, it's G-I-G-I Langer, L-A-N-G-E-R dot com. Mm -hmm. So it's gglanger.com. And I have a place to purchase the book. It describes the book. The book's on Amazon, but you can get it on my website for about half as much. And I have a blog there, of course, and I've posted lots of um, YouTubes and interviews too. But I have a new book coming out um, probably early 23 next year in about six months, four, five, six months. And it's about opening our hearts when uh, and finding our true self the 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 higher self in a way yeah and and dealing with life from that place rather than from the closed-hearted fearful critical nasty place so how do we open i think well this one's called worry less now and so far i'm calling this one love more now Mm -hmm. reflect reflections on open-hearted living so we will look for that we will thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Sober Podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you on. And I am Jamie Brickhouse, your host. And I am author of Dangerous When Wet, a memoir of booze, sex, and my mother. Um, you can find it. Uh, the easiest editions are most available are ebook and an audiobook read by me, which you can find on Amazon. And I tell a true story every day wearing high heels on TikTok. Um, Jamie underscore Brickhouse is my handle there. And you can uh, find uh, me on jamiebrickhouse.com. Gigi, it's been a true pleasure having you as a guest. Thank you again. Signing out for the Sober Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Brickhouse. We'll be back with another show next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Sober Podcast. We hope that you have found this episode helpful and look forward to you joining us next time. As we continue to grow and implement positive change, we hope that you'll share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. They can find us on all the major podcast directories. If you have an idea for the show, want to leave positive feedback, ideas, or comments, connect with us on thesoberpodcast.com. You can also reach us on our social media platform on The Soberverse. We'd love to hear from you. A special thanks to all those who make this show happen. Jamie Brickhouse, our host, Carrie, our producer, Carl Fessenden, our voice, and our sponsor, The Sober Network. Sober.